thanks for tuning in. You're listening to From A to Gen Z with Connie Castle and Jale Brazel, cultural commentary and celebrity chat from two Gen Zers. Hi everyone, welcome to episode nine. This is just a quick note to say that we had some recording issues in the first five minutes, so you may notice that my voice sounds a little bit crunchier than usual, Um, but after that it really improves and is back to its usual crisp quality, so if you want to skip a few minutes in to avoid that then we won't be offended, but if not then please enjoy this conversation about horoscopes and star signs. Hi, Connie. Hi. How has your birthday weekend been? Oh, it's been good, thank you. Uh, yeah, I was pretty lucky with the timing because uh, we were able to go to the pub on Friday. exciting. We yeah. all got pretty cold, though. So this means you're a Sagittarius baby. Yes, Sagittarius <laughs> season. Do you identify with that? Um, not hugely to be honest. I, I like the idea of it, but I don't think I suit the traits that you're supposed to embody. Yeah, yeah I'm Aquarius, but I also have that with this like oh, really, really wanting it to reflect every essence of my being and then it just not. <laughs> so what's a Sagittarius conventionally meant to be like? Um, they're meant to be like wild, fun loving, life you of the party. You are fun loving. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, like l- life of the party, larger than life vibes and they love to travel, which I wouldn't say isn't me, but I wouldn't say it is me to be honest. You have stronger and more meaningful characteristics than yes, just fun aren't loving. Those. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think like some people you meet and they would they are just a party animal, you know. Yeah, life of the party girls in life, and that's I don't think that's me, but no. you know, a girl can dream. <laughs> well, my Aquarius star sign, uh, the personality is meant to be hates rules. It's like super oh. creative. You are um, creative. Though. Yeah, but I love rules. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like kind of going Fair against enough. convention and it's kind of like hippie vibes. Mm. So I feel you there. Maybe, oh my God, we should look up how compatible <gasps> we are. Oh my gosh, yeah. Think... Maybe this will reveal more things. Okay. Okay. I'm going to look it up now. Bear with, guys. Yeah, give us some time. Okay. Aquarius and Sagittarius, sexual and intimacy compatibility. Oh, yeah. I will just add that this is a random site that just came up. So <laughs> I'm going off the authority of the internet here. Okay. Apparently we're 80% compatible. <gasps> that's on pretty good. And intimacy. Yeah, that's pretty high. Yeah. Hot and heavy over here. <laughs> Trust, 60%. Bit worrying. Oh, my God, sad. <laughs> Why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? This is Canadian, <laughs> is it? <laughs> oh, okay. This is the best one. Communication and intellect. Our compatibility is 99%. <gasps> no way! That's yeah, amazing. That is off the chain. When Sagittarius and Aquarius find a mutual interest, it a becomes podcast. It, a podcast. <laughs> when it says mutual in- interest, read podcast. It becomes the infinite source of new topics information and could even change their life life philosophies oh my god no way wow okay then it gets a little bit specific do you identify with this the aquarius partner can remain distant for a long time and sagittarius might feel like a little child (laughs) (laughs) do you ever feel like a little baby 
Um, <laughs> that's so weird. I don't. I wouldn't say I feel like a child. In our rela- I feel like we we're the same age. I know, but once we awaken a mutual interest, their conversation will become incredible. Oh. Wow. Let our listeners be the judge of that. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> but this is always the way with these horoscope things is that you read the first line and you're like, wow, it describes me so well. Can't believe mm. it's just given me that much insight. And then the second sentence just like goes way off track. <laughs> it's way too specific <laughs> to something that has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Or you read like one that's not meant for you and it sounds perfect for you. I think they yeah. can just make these things, manipulate them to make it sound like how you want to be which of course is definitely the case but I think what people don't give them credit for is that it must be so hard to do that it must be so Mm, hard to write something that's vague enough that it could apply to pretty much anyone but specific enough that people will feel it it was really pertinent to them yeah it's an art form I know it is an art form in a way get the horoscope museum up and running because I would attend so how have you been entertaining yourself this week Connie what have you been watching uh, well, I've actually started a new series, exciting. <laughs> um, it's called Industry, um, and it's an eight-part series on BBC iPlayer, which follows the experience of young professionals on a graduate scheme at an investment bank called Pierpoint and Co. Um, and is I, this, I ha- is this the Lena Dunham one? Yes. Okay, <laughs> this is just what I was about to say. So basically, that's that's how I heard about it because I follow her on Instagram, and she was uh, promoting it. Yeah. And I remembered reading something that she'd written last year about how she was in card like filming something and this is the result of that filming however a bit confusingly it turns out she only directed the first episode the rest are directed by somebody else and she didn't write it so I think she's much less involved than I thought she was um which is weird but basically yeah I'm really enjoying it I thought that it was basically just a quite a good idea for a tv show um I'd never uh, like I think it was quite surprising that it hadn't been used before in a way because it has all the like glamour and prestige and financial money and power mm. of um, like a show like Suits or something but using grads and having a grad scheme at the centre of it I thought was quite clever because then you can get like young characters in there yeah. and juxtapose that with like their personal lives and um, especially in banking um characters who like blow off their steam um (laughs) in the form of like clubbing and alcohol and drugs and stuff it makes for pretty good television to be honest with you so (laughs) i think good good premise there um and also particularly relevant for gen z gen z um (laughs) because yeah well the the characters in it are the exact same age as me and you so they're like 22 going on 23 it is quite scary (laughs) um that's horrid (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they, they've just obviously just graduated like us. Um, and a lot of people that we know like have been through the grad recruitment mm. um, journey and like made it or not experience. made it or like had in- yeah exactly <laughs> the, the grueling experience. Um, so and the the first episode starts off with their interviews and stuff, so you can like see, mm. you know, how that process is. Um, and do you do you actually need to know anything about banking or the economy or markets? <laughs> this is a good question. I'd say the answer is no because I know absolutely nothing. Um, there is a bit of confusing, I'd say, jargon. Not really, but more like you just don't know quite what they're talking about. Like they'll be talking about a big account and they'll talk about somebody's name. They'll be like, this thing with Felim and like blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, and I don't know what they're talking about, but 
the the kind of more interesting aspect of it i think is definitely the characters um yeah. like their relationships ethnic diversity in the show is handled quite interestingly because i heard a comment something that that really comes through in it is just the the idea of pressure like a huge amount mm. of pressure on your shoulders um because even though it should be such a positive like achievement that they've got this amazing job like they're going to be paid billions or whatever okay maybe not billions but like a huge starting salary they're kind of made up you know they've got the scheme that they wanted but as soon as they start on their first day they're told about this RIF thing which stands for reduction in force and so it's basically that in six months they're going to let half of the grads go oh my so, god yeah so their whole experience is like fighting to stay basically um rather it than it sounds more like a reality tv show setup it sounds <laughs> like the apprentice true in that way it does um but yeah it just makes for like a just an at um sorry an atmosphere of complete pressure cooker vibes like mm. it's just nightmare pressure um and you get that kind of conflict between the huge competitiveness between colleagues who are just trying to one-up each other all the time and mm. and be the the grad that gets to stay and then the united front that they obviously have to put on to get clients to work with them and to get things done and the re relationship between them and the supervisor is like one of the first things you see because you see them get this warning of like you're going to be let go and then you instantly see them like sucking up to the oh, line God. manager like do you need, do you need a coffee is there anything oh. i can do <laughs> and the the senior people in the bank are so mean like you would not imagine just shouting and horrible and like don't give a shit like ignore them and stuff like that so it's a tough it seems like a very tough environment i don't know how realistic it yeah so a couple of other things i thought were interesting and like a bit unusual about it where it had a, a focus on like social class gender and i think ethnic diversity in a way um kind of all through like the lens of the the grad scheme and the investment bank um so social class is like a particular issue for a lot of the characters like either they've been to Eton and Oxford and they feel really entitled or they've been to a state school and they haven't been to a good uni and they have a massive chip on their shoulder about that mm. and then other characters like make them feel like they don't belong or that they just don't fit in in the world and they can't talk to the kind of people that you need to be able to talk to. Um, so a good example is that you find out like quite late on third or fourth maybe even fifth episode that one of the characters has like a pretty strong Glaswegian accent and that they've been hiding it oh um, behind this like received pronunciation accent oh. for the whole time because they can't like get on in the world of banking without um, sounding like they've had an excellent education kind which of thing. is so common i've i've heard that anecdotally like so many times people really toning down their accent yeah it's a real uh... thing i mean <laughs> we, we don't we probably don't think about it that much because we literally sound like the bbc radio in the 90s yeah <laughs> i want to go the other way to be honest like, i feel like i sound too oh, anyway but um, yeah but yeah it's, it's a real thing so that's that's really interesting they show that yeah um and obviously gender as well is quite a big issue like one of the characters yasmin you kind of see a lot of things um, a lot of the gender issues through her eyes because she's very conventionally attractive and she wears like nice outfits and heels and stuff um and you can see her try and like ingratiate herself in different ways the boys will go in in a very like brash way and be like can i do this and like i want this opportunity but she immediately is trying to be like the nice one who buys everyone mm. a coffee and buys everyone lunch and she's always really polite and basically everyone's still horrible to her Aww. and there's a scene um where her manager like shouts at her publicly at a dinner and calls her a princess and he's like this is the problem with banking that we hire princesses like you and stuff horrible they were like oh wow it's a remarkably ethnic di ethnically diverse bank mm. like ha 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 in the show um 
but I think this is something that they kind of like meta in a meta way reference in the show because at the open day where they're like recruiting uni students they mention the prospectus and how they've like photoshopped two oh ethnic characters God. together which is awful um but then it's, it's quite interesting that they use like they use this ethnically diverse cast obviously to show um that that this is an issue in banking that they that the new right. grads will be ethnically diverse but like the level one up is like all white people basically yeah. um and it's all it's kind of good that they did that in a tv show because they're obviously trying to get more ethnically diverse um mm. actors as well so i thought that was quite interesting and nice to see some like real fresh talent um especially yeah. with a bit more diversity in there good cast and good characters it's nice to see some like new faces and really super talented young actors as well it also so sounds like just an experience of a completely different pace of life to what we're currently going through <laughs> so true yeah, yeah. The, especially the clubbing scenes i find yeah. so weird to watch now because yeah. it's like all these people smushed together which you just would never get <laughs> now it's time for nice nuggets of news a segment where we discuss uplifting news stories that might have passed you by So, what nice nugs have you got for me this week, Jar? I have a slightly outrageous one that I think you've already read about, um, mm-hmm. which is that there's an investigation taking place at the Vatican after oh. the Pope's official Instagram liked a photo of a Brazilian model in which she was quite scantily clad. Um, oh. <laughs> her name's Natalia Garibotto, and she was dressed in kind of like a schoolgirl lingerie outfit. We've spoken mm. about those weird vibes before she's kind of posing by a locker which is like underage e and not that nice but anyway um the photo has since been unliked but the funniest (laughs) thing about the whole episode was how she responded because garibotto said she was excited at the like because she was religious and she tweeted at least i'm going to heaven (laughs) oh my gosh love it it's so funny whoever liked that whether it was the pope or just one of his aides they are an ass man (laughs) (laughs) natalia's ass is out (laughs) cutting observations from yeah it's true i wonder if he did like it who's in charge of the pope's instagram though does he have like a social media manager maybe and also how did they stumble across it did they search good point yeah were they were they like 50 weeks deep in her page or was it like it just came up you know similar interests on my explore page on the explore page exactly it can't be on the pope's explore page that's terrible what's he been looking at yeah if he if it was that would be a far greater issue and a bigger investigation would be having to take place Um, you got anything else yes i do i have a really charming story of um these bin men from Wolverhampton whose dancing videos have gone viral. They've got billions of views. Um, Three men called Adrian, Henry and Jack have done a variety of dance routines. The best one I saw was one inspired by Beyonce's single ladies video. Um, They're kind of, initially I thought they were in leotards, but I think it might just be men's black underpants, kind of like hoiked up. They're doing a dance by some bins. Attractive. <laughs> um, and they're now aiming for a crisp number one with their track "Boogie Round the Bins at Christmas Time." Oh my gosh, iconic! I know, which will raise money for charity. They've already raised like three grand, so they're oh, doing that's so really nice. Well. They're giving money um, to charity. 
Yeah, but you should honestly listen to this tune because it is quite catchy. And we can all boogie around the bins at Christmas time. <laughs> I'd love to boogie around the bins. Yeah, there's not much other boogieing happening. So. No, good point. Got to take it where we can find it, you know. Connie, I am fascinated by your nice nugget this week. I'm actually really excited for this. It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, so this week I have a story about a man who discovered a new variety of apple. The, the story concerns Archie Thomas, who saw an odd looking apple on a woodland run in the Nadder Valley in Wiltshire. Uh, he decided to investigate the apple. Um, side note, he does work for a conservation charity called Plant Life, and I low-key think like me and you could have walked past a thousand new species of I apple. That is in exactly our life, what I we? was just thinking. I mean, yeah. firstly, I don't go on woodland runs, <laughs> but if I happen to find myself on one. How many fruits have gone undiscovered because of our ignorance? Yeah, so he's obviously an expert in plants and conservation. So he noticed that it was a different kind of apple. But mm. I would not notice. I wouldn't know the normal apple from a weird apple. So Royal Hort Horticultural Society fruit specialist Jim Arbery inspected three of the apples from this tree and informed him that it was a new variety. So Archie was allowed to propagate and name the new species. Whoa, exciting! That's so exciting! It is pretty cool. Um, and he joins a very small and select group of people that have discovered something entirely new in their natural world, which is pretty cool. Um, but unfortunately, he has not yet decided the name of the apple. He's got quite a high bar because apples are called quite cool names. They are. Good point. You've Pink got your lady. Granny Smith, Pink Lady. Brayburn is like less exciting, but it's still a cool name for an apple. Yeah. Gala, weird name, but... Gala? Literally can't <laughs> think of any more. So what do you think you would call your apple if you discovered a new kind of apple shark? That's such a good question. <laughs> you know, as we were saying those names, I realised that the names can be characters, you know? Like, you can mm. have a pink lady, you can have a Granny Smith. So it would be point. interesting to add to that cast, you know? Yeah. Call it something like The Unlikely Knight. You know? Oh, love it. I don't know or... why I'm going medieval. I just feel like they are. <laughs> like the confused nun. The confused nun. <laughs> or like a friar. That's medieval vibes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let us know. DM us and tweet us if you have any good ideas for a new name for a species of apple, please. Yeah, I we hear love them. to hear them. Love to. So, Jar, what have you watched this week? I have a film that I honestly cannot recommend to you enough. I, oh, I wow. really want you to watch it. It's called Rocks and it's on Netflix at the moment. Uh, it's from 2019. And it's uplifting, heartbreaking. It's just a beautiful, beautiful film. I was sobbing and then also laughing and then sobbing again. You know, a oh whole roller coaster, but in the best way. And it just managed to say so much in an hour and a half. I was honestly reeling. So it's written by a Nigerian-British playwright called Teresa Ikoko, who I also stalked on Instagram and is really stunning. So that's an added plus for her. Clever Love and it. beautiful. <laughs> um, and it's directed by Sarah Gavron, who directed Suffragette, you know, with Kerry Mulligan. Oh, yeah, and everything, I've seen that. Which, once I realised that, I understood that there were really similar themes because this film is also a lot about sisterhood and resilience of women um, so all of that came across really strongly. The plot follows Shola, who's nicknamed Rocks, which is the title of the film, uh, who's played by Bookeeper Cray. And she is a 15-year-old girl from East London 
who suddenly comes home from school and it turns out that her mum has basically left her and her little brother because her mum has mental health problems uh, that oh. they don't really go into. But she leaves, she's left before, but this time she doesn't really come back. It's, it is actually, that was heartbreaking. That's what got me started because her mum leaves like this apologetic note and like a few 20 pound notes. And then oh. Rox just has to like fend for herself and her little brother Emmanuel with that. So oh by gosh. that point, I was obviously already on the floor. Um, <laughs> but it's just it it was it's just such a touching film. Her aim is to avoid being taken into social services because they know that they'll split her and Emmanuel up. And oh. Emmanuel, honestly, the little boy is so cute. He's obsessed with dinosaurs, and he just absolutely melted my heart. This is bit where he says to her oh, I can count to 100, you know? And she goes, oh, really? Go on then. And he goes, one, two, I'll do the rest tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so sweet. (laughs) And it explores her relationship with her best friend, Samaya, um, who's played by Kosar Ali, who is of Somali heritage and their kind of group of mates at school who are just, they're supportive and funny, but also they're so young and they're just trying to figure it out and they're dealing with all the kind of tensions and drama of that age. I think the the dynamic is basically dictated by the first scene has this sign up in that you see in Rox's room that reads, real queens fix each other's crowns. Oh, so cute. So love. love that. Um, yeah, was there anything like that you thought really stood out about the film or why you really liked it so much yeah sorry I'm not really explaining why I liked it I'm just <laughs> telling you um I think it's because as I was watching it I kept it was so it was so like vivid that I kept thinking it was a documentary and that sounds mm. like I just don't know what films are but, <laughs> um but it turns out that it was kind of valid because apparently they made it through collaborating with youth workshops and like going into schools and doing kind of classes with the kids and I think like authentic as a word has become really trite and is thrown Mm. around quite a lot in ways that I think perhaps it shouldn't be but it honestly is so authentic because I remember you saying last week about the dialogue in love life that Mm. it just seems so real and that people would definitely have that conversation with each other in exactly that way and it's exactly the same feeling it's just it flows so much and it's so realistic that I just struggled to believe that they weren't real people instead of characters it was like it hardly seemed scripted at all and it was just really lovely how they they explored like pockets of different ethnicities in London so there's a scene in Samaya's house when um it's decorated for a Somali wedding um Mm. and Rox kind of starts hanging out with this girl whose stepmom is a Eastern European woman who's running a nail salon and even more than that it it went into the differences um, and sometimes the tensions between different ethnicities that that we might think of as the same race. So okay, there's a bit where Rox says that she does like doesn't really eat Jamaican food, which is obviously going into the tension between like African versus Caribbean heritage. But I just thought that was really important because from the outside, I think quite often we're just sort of led to believe that black people are like just mm, one one culture. group and one culture, which is just completely not the case. Um, So that tiny detail just brought that out a bit, which really stuck with me. And the amount I loved it and also kind of how it was filmed and the themes it tackled, it reminded me of this other film that I saw a few years ago called Girlhood that was a French film, but 
it was also about a group of girls growing up in like the estates just outside Paris, which the setting is similar because Rox lives on this East London estate. But it just had that same vibe of female solidarity and social realism and also this this like jubilant sense of celebrating youth as well as showing the struggles with it. I read a quote from Mark Cummard. He said, it's exactly the film we need right now, pointing the way to a more positive future while looking the perils of the present day squarely in the eye. So please, please, you have to watch it. Um, oh my gosh, I love to watch it. Sounds yeah. great. <laughs> Welcome to From A-List to Gen Z, the segment where we talk in detail about the wild world of celebrities. So we had a brief discussion over the topic for this week's celeb segment because you DM'd me a picture of it. <laughs> do, you wanna, yes. do you wanna explain to our listeners what we have to discuss this week? Yes, so we have a an Instagram post by none other than Kim Kardashian. It's sort of um, turning into the Kardashian segment at this rate. Oh my gosh, it, really? it is. We keep we're obsessed. We we're just obsessed. love to keep up. Mm. Um so this week, Kim posted um, for the 10-year anniversary of Kanye West's Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy album. Um, so in the picture, I, I don't even know where to start. Like, there, So it's sort of, it's a card that he's given her mm. and that he gave her for her 30th birthday and she's kept it for 10 years. So she's very, obviously very sentimental about this card. Um, on one half, there's a beautiful drawing done by Kanye and on the other half, a meaningful poem that he wrote <laughs> for his wife. Is that some sarcasm I detect there, Connie? <laughs> um, yeah, do you want to describe the, the picture? Yeah, okay, so basically the picture is of it's of Kanye and Kim as stick people. He's mm-hmm. chosen to accessorise himself with a bow tie and sunglasses, which in many ways is fair enough. But Kim is drawn, like, with her breasts, so stick yeah. figure plus breasts, um, wearing heels, Louboutin heels, which are labelled, which is how we know that they're Louboutin, <laughs> and a Birkin bag. Oh, and he, he points out her small hands. Interesting. It's not great, to be honest with you. I think if somebody did that drawing of me, I mean, obviously they wouldn't because those things have nothing to do with me. But, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Louboutins, I will never be able to call them. Uh, um, I would be quite offended. Like, why are those her defining characteristics? Her boobs and her designer clothes. Her boobs and her bags. I know. It is a bit worrying. And also, actually, I forgot, there's also a little boat that's labelled yacht, but spelt y-a-u-g-h-t so it rhymes with naught as opposed to yacht (laughs) meet me on my yacht (laughs) um it's just crazy and then the poem is very odd as well like it doesn't rhyme it's all just like you're my light you're my truth you're my war it's a series of opposites isn't it Mm. it's a series of antitheses if you will um which start off sort of fine and making sense and then as it progresses they gradually can't refer to a person because he says, you're my lies, you're my truth, you're my war, you're my truce, you're my questions, you're my proof. And then my personal favourite, you're my stress, you're my masseuse. <laughs> you're my masseuse. It means nothing unless it's taken liter- literally. It's just a bit degrading, I feel, for poor Kim. Like, 
has small hands. She's his masseuse. <laughs> a lot yeah, to unpack. I know. There's so much to unpack, but but she again, loves it. She clearly loved it. I know. Well, yeah, I, and in some ways, this is like the weird birthday hologram of her dad. Like mm. maybe they are made for each other. If he does these weird things, and she loves it. Yeah. Good I point. Mean, all of those opposites. They kind of feel like they could refer to anyone and are therefore not very specific mm. or emotionally invested. But maybe she feels that they really do describe her. Maybe yeah. she is his stress and his masseuse. <laughs> I really like your optimistic take on this, Shah. Yeah. Um. I just, you know, maybe we should cut them some slack. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even get that out without laughing. And have you been reading anything recently, Jar? I need some recommendations because I've been slacking in the reading department. <laughs> slacking as a bookworm, can't be having that. <laughs> well, to be honest, I have also been slacking as a bookworm, but I this is why I turn to short stories because they're just a little bit easier to handle. Mm. They're like bite-sized. So I finally read this collection of short stories by Julia Armfield that came out last year. It's her debut collection. It's called Salt Slow. And it was really well-reviewed. And... I kind of hadn't got round to it because normally I don't really like short stories. Like they don't stick with me in the way that novels do. But after reading this, I think perhaps that's just because I've never really read any that are really, really good. Whereas these ones were so like, they blew me away. They're quite, the tone is, is quite like spooky and Mm. she's so imaginative. And a lot of them are about women going kind of feral or women going wild. Love it. I know. And uh, like acting in quite violent ways sometimes, which is, you know, still thrilling, even if it's a bit more disturbing. And loads of them are about sort of the body and metamorphosis and how your emotional and mental state relates and shapes your physical state. Like, I don't want to ruin anything, but the opening story sort of tackles the hysteria and the shame and the hyper body consciousness of a Catholic girls school and she takes it in this direction that's really unexpected and quite dark but also quite funny so intriguing yeah yeah, and it just really grabs you and it sets the tone really well but there was this one story that stood out to me more than anything else because it just had some really strange similarities with the pandemic that's happening now um which obviously she couldn't have predicted but Mm -hmm. that sort of made it even more startling it's called The Great Awake and in it she writes about a modern day pandemic where your sleep steps out of you and appears mm. as like a humanoid figure crazy um, i know it was it was honestly crazy and i it was so imaginative because i've ne- that's never crossed my mind before i've never seen anything like that before and the sleeps they don't talk but they do kind of annoying things like if you're on the phone they'll just like take the phone and hang up or if you're sitting down they'll kick the back of your chair or something like that so they're not they're not kind of positive presences at all they're like very irritating and frustrating and the story it describes like the world's initial shock that this is happening and how people try to adapt to it and then gradually how people get used to it and how rhythms change and activities start happening at night because everyone's awake all the time um because when your sleep is kind of removed from you it means that you just never go to sleep which was all just just really creepy and interesting but it made it less surreal reading it now I felt because I feel like this Mm -hmm. whole year has been so surreal that I could almost see it happening in reality 
I know that sounds yeah. odd, but now I've seen one pandemic just like take the world by storm. I was like, well, maybe tomorrow sleeps will start coming out of us and yeah. we to do. <laughs> Um, it sounds like they've almost been adapting better than we have to the real pandemic. I know it did sound it did sound like that because it also it made people make new friendships, and it was stuff like she described when TV anchors would be on TV, you'd get used to seeing their sleeps just like behind them. Which I yeah I just thought it was really interesting. And if you're struggling to get to grips with a full length book at the moment, it's really nice to dip in and out of them. Um, and because they're so singular and so odd and sort of spooky it's a nice thing to distract you basically because it really absorbs you into this other world and now on to whack or woke where we re-watch pre-2010 tv series and films and see how they hold up from a gen z perspective So for Wackle Woke, we watched Scrubs season one, episode 13. It's called The Balancing Act. So this show is based on um, some doctors in a hospital in the US. And this season came out in 2002. So 18 long years ago. What did you make of it, Connie? I I actually didn't realise it was 2002. I think it was a bit more um, modern vibes being that old. (laughs) um I enjoyed the episode I'm not a regular scrubs watcher like I didn't really watch it so I'm kind of coming at it with a fresh (laughs) fresh set of eyes um I thought that uh kind of based on what I just said the the situation that in the show between I think it's Carla and Turk Mm. um was quite woke in a way because you kind of um you're you're like brought into the scene um, in the aftermath, like an awkward sexual encounter, basically, which mm. they kind of make out to look like he's had a performance issue, mm. let's say. But you later find out that it's actually Carla who's had the performance issue in that she like will always orgasm, but this time hasn't. And mm. I thought that was actually pretty woke, showing a couple where clearly like the women's pleasure is prioritised. Yeah. Interesting. Agreed. Once, like, once I saw that scene happening, I was like, oh, we all know what to expect here because it's such a trope. And yes. then them inverting that. Yeah, it was unexpected and I thought it was quite clever as well. I also, I'd forgotten that the whole show is basically based on the premise that the hospital has loads of different workplace harassment going on like all the time (laughs) like the older doctors are just horrible to the younger doctors and like yell at them all the time there's a surgeon who just like really sexually inappropriate the whole time and like Mm. makes awful comments to women (laughs) um Uh and all this stuff but I mean that is that is where the humor is generated from so Mm. I don't think we can necessarily judge it on those terms but I agree and also it ends with Carla basically recommending to Elliot, another a female doctor, that she should sit on top of a washing machine to give herself an orgasm, which yeah makes it seem really dated. I thought true. I I yeah, I'm not seen that trope for quite a long time. The old yeah. sit on a washing machine. Yeah, I know. I actually also, don't remember ever seeing it really. No, and but it's a weird. It's also a weird com- combination of like women's domesticity with mm, interesting sexuality <laughs> that's yeah. a very english lit point yeah <laughs> read it and weep um yeah so what's our verdict overall good question actually because 
I mean, there are some aspects of it that are a bit whack, but I would say uh, middle to woke, like in yeah. the middle of those two. Yeah. What do you think? I'd say I... neutral-ish, wavering towards, just because of that comment. Yeah, exactly. Bit, essentially. I think if we watched more episodes, we'd think it was more whack. But... Mm, good point. Maybe it was an a unusually woke yeah, moment. We've got to base it on our sample. That's it for this week. Thank you to all our listeners and social media followers. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And remember to follow us on social media at From A to Gen Z on Instagram, From A to Gen Z with Connie and Jarlette on Facebook, and at From A to Gen Z Pod on Twitter. Tune in next time for another episode of From A to Gen Z.